Okay, uh, let's go to God in prayer, then we'll jump into our lesson. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. I do pray that you will help us to get out of today's lesson what you want us to get out of it. Help us to stay focused, help us to stay clear, and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we've been talking in the book of Galatians, just to kind of recap some things. Paul went and planted a church there in Galatia, and then he left. And then some other people came in, and they started preaching in addition to what Paul was saying. In other words, Paul preached the gospel of grace, this is how we're saved, and they said, yes, that's true, but also you need to be circumcised. Also, you need to add these things to it. And the Bible talks about once we try to add to the gospel of grace, that's when we fall away from the grace of God. And so it's important for us to remember, this is a Jews versus the Gentile situation as we look here in the book of Galatians. Uh, It's more than just racial, it's cultural, it's a lot of diversity, it's a a, a lot of different things. Because at the beginning, just the Jewish people were Christians. Other people weren't, just the Jewish people. And so now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles, that would be all of us, people that weren't Jewish, are now becoming Christians. And some of the Jewish people didn't really like that. Because they, hey, we have Jesus. What are you doing? You're kind of invading what we're doing. And so it became a really big issue. And a lot of it was not the fact that they weren't saved, but they just weren't doing things the way the old traditional Jewish people were used to things happening. And so as we even look today in Galatians, you're going to notice a lot of what we're talking about here really wraps the Bible together. And I know we all know the Bible all fits together. But as we even go through the study today, you're going to see a lot of other Bible studies that we do come into effect in today's lesson. And so if you're busy with this, one of the things we do is when people come, we ask you to study the Bible. We invite you to study the Bible. That's just a sit-down, one-on-one conversation, not an argument, but a conversation to just show these are the beliefs of our congregation. And if you like them and embrace them, amen. We want you to be a part of things, but just so you know. So we study about the Word of God. What a disciple is, the kingdom of God. We study about sin, how to repent of sin, the cross, the church. There's a lot of things we do. So if you're visiting, I do encourage you to study the Bible. Uh, And if you're already a disciple, I encourage you again to read through the book of Galatians so as we talk about it, you can have a, a, a better grasp on it. Because I don't want to just give fluff lessons. We've got to learn to go deeper in our walk and journey with God. So if some of this is kind of like going over your head, just go back and reread it on your own. And then you'll see exactly what I'm saying. Uh, But hopefully you'll be able to grasp things and I can explain it well enough that we can walk away different people because of the word today. So uh, let me just start with this. Have you ever had a conversation that was coming up that you dreaded? You just weren't looking forward to it. Maybe your kids are at an age and they want to know where babies come from. Maybe you knew you had to confront somebody on something. Or maybe your spouse, you know, I've got to talk to them about something, but these constructive conversations does not go over well. This is what Paul was in a situation with. Let me tell you a story. There was a guy who never married, and he lived with his mom all his life. The love of his life was his cat, Frankie. Some of his friends finally got him to take a trip, and he went on a cruise, so he got his brother to stay with his mom. The first day on the boat, he called home. How's Frankie? His brother said, well, Frankie died. The guy was crushed, and he said, I can't believe you put it to me that way. You don't have any tact. The brother said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, 
I could have called back and you could have said, Frankie's on the roof and we can't get him down. Then I could have called back the next day and you could have said, well, Frankie fell off the roof, but he's going to be okay. And then I could have called back the next day and you could have said, well, the vets are going to do surgery, but they think everything's going to be fine. Then I could have called back the fourth day and you could have told me that Frankie didn't make it through the surgery. You could have prepared me for the shock. The brother said, well, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, okay, don't worry about it. How's mom? He said, well, mom's on the roof and we can't get her down. You know, there are, <laughs> there are some conversations that are just hard to have. Particularly when you have to confront somebody about a situation. And few people speak with courage when it's time to confront somebody with something. There was a preacher in the 18th century who was a circuit preacher. In other words, he would go to the different churches and make a little a circuit. And he was a pretty hardline preacher. And so one day some of the elders came to him and said, President Andrew Jackson is going to be at service this morning. Please don't offend him. The brother Peter Cartwright, the, the preacher, stood up in the pulpit and the first lines he said was, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is with us today. I've been asked to be guarded in my remarks, so let me be clear. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. <laughs> the whole church was in awe. But after service, President Jackson went up, shook Cartwright's hand, and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. You know, I want to tell you about another man who had that kind of courage. His name was Saul of Tarsus, but after he met Jesus, and Jesus got a hold of him, he became the Apostle Paul. Look over in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. Galatians 2, verse 11. This is specifically a time that Paul would get in your face when it came to the gospel of grace. And this is exactly what he did with another pillar of the church. Galatians 2 verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, I don't know why Peter was in Antioch, but the tense of the verb that it says says that he was there for quite a while. Because it says he used to eat with them, and so, meaning he was here eating with them, and now he's eating over here. So, it wasn't just a one-time visit. He was there conducting himself in this manner. Now, one thing to realize that in the Eastern culture, if someone... Uh, is eating with somebody having a meal with them they're making a statement and that statement is I am committed to you I am loyal to you I want an intimate friendship with you in America we'll eat with anybody hey let's grab my eat let's do whatever 
It doesn't mean the same. But in their culture, when you sat down and ate with somebody, it was a deep, meaningful relationship being built. And again, when you get, this helps you realize what the Lord's Supper is really all about. Because those that were there were having a deep, intimate relationship. And the one who left was Judas, who didn't want to be a part of that deep, intimate relationship. He liked being shallow and surfacy. So when you have those meals together, it, it's a significant thing. And this is one thing we ourselves today need to embrace more about the Lord's Supper, about our communion. It's not just take the bread and the cup. This is really about us being closer, not just to God, but to one another as we share this moment together. So what was Peter doing to Antioch? Again, uh, in verse 12 it says, Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Now, does this mean that James agreed with what uh, Peter was doing? No, that's not what it's saying. Because if James was like, yeah, you're doing the right thing, Paul would have rebuked James also. So it wasn't that James was like, yes, this is okay. People were just using in the name of James to communicate things. And people still do that today. They try to, try to name drop as if it's okay because someone's, I know this person or I'm close to this person. They went to Peter and they suggested, you know what you're doing, Peter, uh, is probably really good intentions. But you've got to understand, you eating with the Gentiles is causing problems for all of us back in Jerusalem. All of us older Jewish people are having problems converting people because here you are, a pillar in the church down here, eating with Gentiles. That makes things uncomfortable for us up here. So when Paul comes to town and he sees this, Paul doesn't say, oh, maybe you're right, Peter. Paul gets in Peter's face right away. See, Paul, he didn't back up because of what happened. He went forward in part of what happened. And he says, listen, what you're doing is wrong because Peter started to draw back. And that literally is a military term, meaning to retreat. That's what that, that's what that means. He started to draw back. And this really bothered the Apostle Paul. Why did it bother him? Because you've got to remember, here's Peter. He knows what's right. But yet, when he's around a certain group of people, he started to act different. And this was a part of his character. Remember back when the Lord was getting crucified? He followed at a distance. And then when people confronted him, even a, a girl, a slave girl, he's like, oh, I don't know who Jesus is. See, even though he knows what's right, if you put him in a certain crowd with a certain group of people, he will lose all conviction. Now we're talking about Peter, the man that walked on water, this great man. See, if he had this in his character, how much can we have it in our character as well? And this is what upset Paul because Paul knew Peter knew better. Look at Acts chapter 10. Let's show you how, how we know Peter knew better. Acts chapter 10. Actually go to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 10, Paul converted a man, by a Gentile, by the name of Cornelius. And then in Acts chapter 11, he had to go and talk before all those people in Jerusalem, because again, he's dealing with some Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said... 
you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them? Again, when you go eat with somebody, that shows a relationship that you're trying to build. So they're like, how are you, a Christian, going to these Gentiles who supposedly now are Christians and eating with them? They were upset by what he was doing. So they started criticizing Peter. Well, Peter, getting that criticism from people, all of a sudden made them start to lose conviction. Start to draw back a little bit. And it's interesting, that's what legalistic people do. They play the politics of intimidation. They try to intimidate people into doing different things. Instead of talking about the truth, they try to intimidate people. This was an issue people was having over strong feelings. And Peter thought, you know what, I don't want to have to go through what I went through before when I was following Jesus at a distance and how bad I felt. And I don't want to have to go through this again. So, you know what, I'm just going to just step back and not say nothing. Because I don't want to go through all those emotions and hurt feelings again. And then Paul comes to town and says, I don't care if I'm going through that again. I'm talking about the truth of the gospel. And so he confronted Peter in his face in front of everybody about the truth of the gospel. Why? Because Paul realized all those Gentile Christians, if they looked and saw what Peter was doing, then they would think, you know what, we're just second-rate Christians. The grace of God was good, but it didn't make us equal to all the Jewish Christians, even in Jerusalem. So we are Christians, but we're just not as worthy as the Jewish Christians. Because they saw Paul acting one way, but preaching another way. And this is what, I mean, Peter doing that. And this is what upset the Apostle Paul. Because he said, no, 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 no. It's not about a second-rate Christian. Once you're saved by the grace of God, you are a Christian. That's flatline it. But these Christians here felt like, but it's hard to stand up to these older Christians in Jerusalem. It's hard to confront these other Christians. And Paul says, well, let me tell you about a time that I confronted Jerusalem. That I confronted Peter to his face. So this is what he wrote about in Galatians 2. Now, you know, this month is Black History Month. For a lot of reasons. But it's Black History Month. And one of the things we celebrate a lot is Martin Luther King. And in reality... Isn't this what Martin Luther King did? He stood up for people's rights. Just like the Apostle Paul spoke up for those people, Martin Luther King spoke up for people time and time again. Confronted people to their face, confronted things. That's what he did. That's what made him such a great man. Let me share a few of his quotes with you here. It says, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Another quote, it says, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Then he said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Then he said, The time is always right to do what is right. And then another quote, he said, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Let me take you back. You remember in Abra, uh, Lazarus, uh, Abraham and Lazarus, and, and Abraham 
um, was able to go up and say, you know, just at least take a dip of water and put it back and tame my tongue. It's hot. He said, no, we can't do that. There's a great abyss between you. And he said, well, just go back and let somebody preach to my family. You know, one of the most challenging and heartfelt things about a person not making it to heaven is in hell you still have your memory. In other words, you knew and will know all the chances you had to repent, all the opportunities to know God, and you chose not to take them. That's an agony in itself, knowing I had it right there with me, but I didn't do it. Knowing I could have got open about this in my life and not have left God, but I chose not to. Knowing I didn't share my faith with my neighbor, and now they're down here in hell, and I didn't share with them. Just knowing that all the things we could have done, but we kept silent about, that's what people will remember. My neighbor's a Christian, why didn't they invite me? My coworker's a Christian, why didn't they invite me? Here am I, I'm in agony here in hell, and they are not, but they didn't share their faith with me. They didn't help me. You know, it's important to notice Paul opposed Peter to his face, not behind his back, but to his face. And he was angry about it. Not angry at Peter, like angry you, you dirt dog. He was angry that he was abusing the gospel. So let me tell you a couple of reasons why he opposed him to his face. First, number one, Paul knew Peter's actions contradicted his own conscience. In other words, the thing that Peter did wasn't really what he believed. Paul knew the problem wasn't Peter didn't know better. The problem was that Peter didn't have the courage to stand up at that time. See, if Peter didn't know better, Paul would have just sat down and taught him. But he knew Peter knew better. Here, look in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Let's take a look at how Peter knew the right thing. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. You understand? Y'all put with me here? Okay, Mark 7, verse 14. Peter was one that was walking with Jesus, so he heard this teaching and said, Again, Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, Listen to me. Everyone, understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So he heard Jesus teaching these things. So these Gentiles, they're not unclean because of the fact that they eat pig. They're not unclean because of these things. Look over in Acts chapter 10, verse 10. So he heard these teachings of Jesus. Then in Acts 10, verse 10, when it comes to him converting Cornelius. This is Peter, and he had his vision. Acts 10, verse 10. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of earth, birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So not only did he hear Jesus talking about it, but even after Jesus died, was resurrected, he is still teaching Peter, listen, don't call these things unclean that I have made clean. Look down at verse 28, chapter 10, verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So, did Peter know better? Absolutely. He knew it wasn't right. And this is why, let's go back to Galatians 2 again. I know we flip it all around, but I got to show you. Galatians 2, verse 13. So he heard Jesus teaching it. Jesus appeared to him later on after the vision. And then he said, I know I should not call any person unclean. So then in Galatians 2, verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This is why the Apostle Paul used the word twice, hypocrisy, in Galatians 2. Hypocrisy literally means to answer from up under. To answer from under. This is what they called actors back in that day. Hypocrites. Because they would have a mask, like with a, a frown or a smile on. The mask would be in front of them, but they would talk from under the mask. So in other words, they put on this impression, but they were saying something from underneath it. So it's not that Peter didn't know better. He knew the right way. But he did something totally different. And so this is what he said to him. Peter, you believe two different things. You're saying this, but you're doing this. And so he confronted Peter on this. Many times we look at people and we call them hypocrites because they have sin. There, you're in sin. You're a hypocrite. Hypocritical Christian. What you got to understand, hypocrisy is when you know better... But you don't have the courage to do what you know. So instead of pointing out sin all the time, we got to look at people and say, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know that's not right. But yet you're acting that way? That's hypocrisy. And see, as an adult, we start pointing out sin, sin, sin. But then when we have teenage kids and they look at how we live at home, that's why they call us hypocrites. Because you're going to church, you're hugging, you're smiling, you're saying all this stuff, but yet at home, we know what you really like. And so the best way to help our kids is to live the right life. Now remember what Martin Luther King said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. In other words, you're putting on one face and not speaking the truth. Not having enough courage to live it out. See guys, this is why we, the Lord gives us the spirit of power, not of timidity. Why? Because he doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He wants us to have the courage 
to do what we know is right. Now what's interesting is in Acts 5, this is the very thing that Peter challenged Ananias and Sapphira on. You say one thing, but you do something else. You say you sold all the property and you gave all the money to the church, but you really didn't do it. You put it on the front. So here's Peter challenging them on being hypocrites. But yet, he himself lived out that same hypocrisy. Does such hypocrisy characterize how we deal with people today? What do you mean? Do you ever believe that there are things that are not wrong, but we pretend that they are wrong just to please somebody? Or you see something that is wrong and you don't say anything because you might offend your friend. See, that's hypocrisy. Sometimes we say, you know what, I just don't want to get involved. What do you mean you just don't want to get involved? Are you not going to fight for somebody's soul? Are you not going to speak up and say something? You need to confront things to help people. Well, you don't understand. We in New York. We got to mind our own business. We can't be getting all up in people's stuff. We don't know what's going to happen. Okay, seriously now? You know, I, I was speaking in Brooklyn uh, last year. And uh, we went out to have lunch with uh, uh, the leaders in Brooklyn afterwards. And we're sitting in a restaurant. And, you know, you had the doors open. And, you know, just around the corner street. And all of a sudden we hear all this noise and people screaming and stuff. And the owner runs out there. And there's these two guys fighting out there in the street. I mean, they throwing blows. They're going at it. Different things like that. And everybody's sitting around. Stop. 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 Somebody call the police. Stop. Stop. And, and they're just fighting. And their girlfriends are standing there looking at everything. And nobody did nothing. So I went out there and I grabbed one guy off the other guy and I picked the other guy up like that. I said, I need to stop right now. And I just pushed him off like that. And everybody's just looking like, you're not from New York, are you? I'm like, it doesn't matter where I'm from. It's 15 people here. You telling me 15 people can't stop two people? I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? And they're just sitting there looking at me all weird. I said, no, you need to stop. But you need to go on about your business. And so they, start, they kept cussing at each other on down the street, do whatever they're going to do. But I'm sitting there like, why are we all just standing around and not doing nothing? The owner said, stop, stop, stop. They're not going to stop. He didn't even give me a free meal after breaking up the fight either. He didn't. I'm like, man, at least you could have gave me dessert or something. Anyway. I'm not saying go jump in all kind of stuff. I was aware enough to know that they've been fighting for three or four minutes and ain't nobody pulled out a knife or a gun. You ain't got one. So it wasn't about that situation. So I'm not just, oh, let's go in there and see the fight. <laughs> My awareness was up. Trust me. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes you just got to do something, guys. I'm not saying we got to break up every single fight, but there are some fights we need to have for spiritual reasons that we don't have, and we still sit back on the side. There's a guy that lives in Tennessee, and he went to work for a church there. And the church had been dead for some time, so he thought he'd try something new. So the first Sunday, he had everybody uh, at the beginning of service stand up and greet the person next to you. And he did this for the four Sundays in a row. Then the elders came to him and said, hey, we can't do that anymore. And he said, why? 
is something wrong? And he said, yeah, we've been getting complaints from the members about it. And so the preacher said, well, who's complaining? And so one of the elders said, a sister called me and complained and said she didn't want to do it anymore. Another elder said, yeah, I got an email from two other sisters talking about it. So the preacher said, so let me get this straight. There were three ladies that complained about it, and you're saying we need to stop doing it because of that. He said, I'll tell you what, our next elders meeting, can you have those three ladies come? And the elder said, why? He said, well, I just want to get to know the people that I work for. Since they run this church, then we need to make sure I get to know them even more. You know how to say the squeaky wheel gets all the oil? Guys, we got to understand, we have to stand up and do what's right. The point is this, when we act like things are wrong, but we know they're not wrong, just to make people happy, we ourselves deceive good people. In Galatians 2, it says that even Barnabas was led astray. Now Barnabas is the, the, the son of encouragement. He's just a happy-go-lucky person. But because he saw so much hypocrisy, and nobody did anything about it, that all of a sudden he started leaning that way as well. Guys, we can hurt and do so much damage to the church by just staying silent. That does a lot of damage, us just keeping our mouth shut. And then, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Somebody else will deal with it. Or, you know, God will get with it. He will, but why do we have to make God work so hard when he has us here to do his will? It's important for us to understand. The first reason Paul confronted him to his face was because he knew, Peter knew better. But yet he did it to please people. We got to all look and ask ourselves, am I a people pleaser? Am I a people pleaser? Well, what do you mean? Think about whoever is your close friend in the church. When's the last time you really helped point out character issues in them? To point out stuff that's wrong with them. You know, I appreciate Charles, young man in the ministry coming up. He comes to me probably every other week. Okay, what do you see in my character I need to change? What, what needs to change? You know what? Sometimes I have something, sometimes I don't. But it's just his desire to even want that says he wants to grow and be a better man for God. It's important for us to start asking each other. George, what can I do to be a better, more godly father? A better, more godly husband? Sisters, it's time to start asking, what can I do to be a better, godly wife? See, we want to talk about everything else. Who planned the Super Bowl? What you cooking for the Super Bowl? Who's going to... How about how you can be a better, godly man or woman instead of just what's going on in the NFL? Now, the second reason why Paul confronted him to his face, um, Paul believed that Peter's actions contradicted the gospel of grace. So, in other words, what Peter did is the opposite of what the Bible is calling us to do. Peter was contradicting it. Paul is saying, Peter, what you're doing is preaching a gospel that violates the gospel of grace. See, the gospel of grace tears down walls. It doesn't build them up. And that's what we got to understand. Grace tears them down. Pride builds them up. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth 
and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision are done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So what he's saying is at one point, you had no chance to be right with God. You were cut off, you didn't have any hope for the promises, you were just lost. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. The cross of Christ broke down the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul was not about to let somebody else rebuild that wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? Because salvation is not by race, it's by grace. And this is what we need to remember. We lived in Texas, there were so many churches... But there was the black church here, the Asian church here, the Latin church here, the white church. It was so many churches, but yet they were all based upon race or culture. And I remember the preacher would say time and time again, if you're in an all-white church or all-black church or all-Asian church, don't walk away, but you need to run. Because that is not God's church. And this is what we've got to understand. Because it's not about race, it's about grace. A sad story about the autobiography of Gandhi. When he was a student in South Africa, he was very intrigued by the Bible. He thought perhaps the teaching of Jesus was exactly what his troubled nation needed. One Sunday he got up and went to a Christian church, and he was met in the foyer by a deacon who said, You cannot come in here today. You need to find a church of your people. Gandhi left and wrote in his autobiography, If Christianity has caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Think about how many millions of people's lives could have been changed if that one church had understood the gospel of grace. Look in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. See, the issue is bigger than race. It's about do we understand the gospel of grace. Galatians 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, here's the good news about Peter. 
Because I started out talking about Peter and his conversations and what he did wrong there in Galatians. But if we look back in Acts chapter 15, look in verse 7. Acts 15, verse 7. See, we're putting this whole Bible to use. All of it. Together. But even as we study the book of Galatians, this is what I'm telling you. I'm trying to help the whole thing come together in our journey. And not just read book by book by book, but understand the whole Bible works together in unison. In Acts 15, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. Oh, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, that they are saved just as we are. Paul, finally, Peter finally got it. It's not that he finally got the gospel. He finally got the courage to stand up and say, listen, here's the truth. They are saved just as we are saved. Now, let me end the sermon today with three truths about the gospel that I want us to grasp. So even if all that could have been an intro for you, walk away with these three points. First one is this. The gospel must be lived as well as believed. A lot of people believe the Bible to be true. But the gospel must be lived as well as believed. Again, back in Galatians 2.14. Galatians 2 verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. The idea is that our lives must be advancing towards the truth of the gospel. That we must try to put it into practice every single day. Paul says if you have the right talk about the gospel, but the wrong life, you're a hypocrite. We're, we have the right gospel, guys. We're preaching the truth. There's no additional books. We're not trying to follow a man. We're following Jesus. So we all have the right gospel. But now it comes down to are we having the right life? Are we interacting the way we should? Story about a guy who went on vacation in Miami. I like stories. Y'all like stories? He wanted to do it upright. So he went. So when he got there, he got rid of all his clothes and bought a big white fancy suit, a flower shirt, and decided to go out and strut. He walked out of his hotel into the street and got hit by a taxi. Bam! As he laid there in the road dying, he looked up into the sky and said, God, why did this happen? Then he heard a voice from heaven say, to be honest, Frank, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> he went down there and got all accustomed to Miami culture, dressed differently, act differently, look differently. God didn't recognize him. My question for us today is this. I wonder how many people in church today does God recognize? 
Because the way we look and act today may not be how we look and act Monday through Saturday. So tomorrow morning, is God going to say, oh yeah, I remember you, I saw you at church yesterday. Or is he going to say, who is this? What you doing? Is your life walking in line with the gospel? You know what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 16? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch them. You've got to make sure you're living what you're talking about. It says in James 1.20, Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Do we talk about the gospel? We talk about church, but yet full of anger. Get home, frustrated. I can't believe the Patriots lost. And we throwing remote controls. <laughs> We talk about forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 You are to forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Are we still struggling to forgive people? I mean seriously. When people say I'm struggling I, just, I don't even like to hear that word. You need to find another word. Struggling? Seriously? Does that mean you're trying to change it or you're not? Are you just thinking about it? You're struggling mentally? You're struggling with trying to decide to repent? What what does struggling mean? You know, to me, struggling means somebody trying to get me, I'm fighting out of it. I'm doing something about it. That's struggling. But if you just say, man, I'm really struggling with overcoming, you ain't doing nothing. Are you fighting for it? Well, I'm, I'm trying to work out a plan of repentance. A what? Now seriously, if you were like swimming and somebody grabbed you and started pulling you under, you're going to struggle. You're going to get up away from that, but you would be doing something. But just, would you work out a plan of getting out of this water? In the last century, one of Europe's greatest artists was Paul Gastavando. While traveling one day through Europe, he lost his passport and the border guard stopped him and wouldn't let him enter the country. He told the guard his famous name, thinking that he could get in, but the guard wouldn't let him through. Finally, the guard gave him a test and said, If you are the famous artist, here's a piece of paper. Sketch those people standing over there. Paul took the pencil and sketched such an incredible picture that the guard knew he was who he said he was because his actions backed up his claim and let him in the country. That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying. The single best way to preach and defend the gospel is to live it. Is to live it. Secondly, the gospel is horizontal as well as vertical. The gospel is horizontal as well as vertical. See, the gospel doesn't just make you right with God. It makes you right with people. The gospel makes us right with each other. We're united because every one of us, even though we may be different and look different and different backgrounds, whatever it may be, we know the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. In 1865, a church in Richmond, Virginia was shocked when a black man attended their church. They were really shocked when during communion he went up and knelt down at the altar. Those were the days that the church shared a one cup altar. Resentment went through the crowd until finally a stately white gentleman stood up and walked through the crowd to the front and knelt down beside the black man. The white man's name was Robert E. Lee. The gospel makes us right with God and people. 
If we're not right with people, then we're not living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is just that simple. We can come back with all the excuses. I remember my brother swimming around in, in the basement and I hit my head in a hot water heater and had stitches behind my head. I was really young. But I don't still hold that against him. I don't think. I remember it happened and then I got knocked out. But that was then. I can't hate him now for something that happened way back when I was six years old. But how often do we hold on to stuff? Or we say, I forgive you, but there shouldn't be a but to it. I forgive you, but you don't understand. No, no, no. If you say, I forgive you, it's done. Let's not go back and bring it up. Let's not talk about it anymore. Why we got to revisit it if you forgave me? Does God do that to us? He doesn't. He doesn't say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You remember this? He doesn't do that. Too often we fought fights that we never should have been fighting. And the ones we should be fighting, we don't say anything about it. You know, I want my kids to grow up in a church that's about the grace of God. Not about, if you don't share it with this many people, you're going to hell. Not about, if you don't do this, this, and that, you're going to hell. It's not about this, this, and that. It's about the grace of God, which leads you to do this, this, and that. Let me close with one last story. Really is the last story. For today. Abraham Lincoln did not love war, and he did not want war. But he knew that peace in exchange for slavery was hypocrisy. So a nation went to war, and on January 1st, 1863, William Stewart walked into the Oval Office and laid a paper on Lincoln's desk for him to sign. It was noon, and Lincoln picked up the pen and put it down. Picked it up and put it down again. Stewart was perplexed because the document was the Emancipation Proclamation. Then Lincoln said to Stewart, I've been shaking hands with people since 9 a.m. this morning, and my hand is paralyzed. If I sign it now, then my signature will be shaking, and years from now, people will say Lincoln signed it, but his soul really wasn't into it. So Lincoln waited until the feeling came back into his hand, and then he slowly and firmly signed the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And he said, God meant for no man to be a slave, but for every man to be free. No one likes war, but there are times that we must fight for the gospel of the truth. There are times that we need to fight to help each other stay right with God. There are times we need to fight, but it's for the glory of God. I love you and thank you. To God be the glory.